1: Hey guys, what's up? This is comic book artist boy Myers, artist on Spawn and Steve Titans, hanging out with my friends at The Marvelists, Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson.
2: Welcome everyone to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our very special guest, we want to tell you all at home... How you can get a hold of us on them-thar social medias.
0: Just know that there is nothing usual about rigamarole. and never, ever will I ever hear it again unless I repeat it unmistakably because it's in, <laughs> indelibly marked in my brain. Go!
2: Indubitably. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a like-ski on there. Go on Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelists. Give us a follow-ski on there. You can find us individually on them-thar social medias. Myself at Twitter and Instagram at Peter Melnick on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster, and there is only one place in the whole worldwide weed wide woo de boo de 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 de
3: de
2: de 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 de
0: de
2: and you can only you. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's all all okay. No, this Go is ahead. this is perfect. You can find you can find us streaming on all iOS and Android devices. Remember that, folks, for the quiz at the end of the show. Yeah, in the toilet will work too. How dare you? Don't miss. Whoa. Someone's got to clean that up. Yes, it's not going to be me. Mm-hmm. But you can find us on iOS and Android devices. Tune in radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Spotify, among many other places that you can wrangle, you can lasso an RSS feed. And of course Rawhide! <laughs> roll back. Because <laughs> Walmart used to do that as their slogan. Oh yes, okay. But you can also okay. find us on iTunes where you can rate, review, subscribe, Sunny, and share, and five star the show in the reviews.
0: I got you, babe.
2: And you know what I got, Eddie? I got Uh the same tired joke I beat like a dead horse Every episode Remember Four stars and below Is like the ice cream machine At McDonald's (laughs) It just does not work And neither does The two
0: Chain stores That we know Get nothing for Or from And we're not endorsing And disclaimer
2: Why? Well because it's funny Uh huh We don't get money From Marvel But we do a Marvel podcast I like funny bones (laughs) But you don't see those Walking around here do you? Oh now we gotta get money From funny bones Mm -hmm. Well technically Drake cakes We're hostess. Which is the one that has them? Right, the first time. Eddie, are you making like, you know, sea turtle with your hands? Because you're going, hmm? Um, No, it's just (laughs) bawling the hands into fists. (laughs) (laughs) Those fists are probably going to be used on me against my head eventually. (laughs) But, Eddie, on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are joined with a fantastic artist who has had work done at Marvel, at the Distinguished Competition DC, and at the one that got my attention the most image. Well, it sounded like he
0: had work done by, you know, a a doctor, a cosmetologist, jeez.
2: (laughs) Eddie, we are joined with John Boy Myers. John Boy, good evening.
1: Hello. Hey, that was uh, quite an amazing intro. Thank you.
2: Well, thank
0: you, but you're way too, we're way too kind.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that everything's just so chilling off the cuff, man. It's like, I love it. It's great.
2: We try. We try. We finish each other's sandwiches. We do all sorts of stuff. Ew. Well, I mean, you get... We cut it in half. There's not germs. It's fine. (laughs) That's better. Yeah. Sometimes we just tear the sandwich apart with our bare hands. It's not that sanitary. But, John Boy, it's the cliche question, but how did you get your start in the realm of comics? First off, as a fan, and then as a professional.
1: Uh, you know, I was a fan from way back. I, uh, my dad was, uh, in the military, uh, was an MP and he used to bring home comic books all the time, mostly war comics. And I, used to, I used to love them just cause like, wow, looks like, you know, I didn't like to read much, but with comics with words and pictures, it was awesome. And then one day he brought home a Captain America bicentennial annual drama, Jack Kirby, where he fights Magneto. And, uh, I can't remember it was the mutates or whatever, it had like Mr. Peepers and all these other characters. Um, and I'd never seen Captain America before, and I was like, what is this? And that was my first superhero comic, and uh, um, from that point on, my dad would always bring on superhero comics for us, and uh, for me and my brothers, and we'd collect them, and I would start drawing them and, and then making my own comics um, in the neighborhood, and we'd all sell them for like a quarter, which would take us like a whole month to do. We're stupid kids, we didn't know. And now you, we were, to the- I was gonna s-
0: you were growing right. up in what, in what decade, and...
1: Uh, this was the 80s, so this was the time of like, uh, oh gosh, I want to say like John Byrne X-Men, uh, Paul Smith X-Men, uh, back when like, uh, people didn't care about the Avengers too much, it was all about X-Men, really. X-Men and Teen Titans, I think, were the ones that were like really on people's radar, because that's all my friends would talk about is like, you know, Teen Titans, and for me, I was like, well, you know, I like the G.I. Joe, and I like Captain America, and I like Batman, um, but I, I try to read as much as you can, because... You know, I didn't really understand that there were comic book shops because this was a military base on Fort Carson in Colorado Springs. So there were just these little shopettes. They're so like 7 Elevens all over the base. So we had led our bikes to these little shopettes all the time, like once a week, because we knew new comics were coming in to see what issue would come in. And there'd be sporadic issues. Like you'd have one issue of X Men, and then, it, it, you know, they wouldn't order that many. So whoever bought them, and then you get the next one, you're like, you skip an issue, and you're like, what happened? You're like, I don't know.
2: And <laughs> you mentioned you grew up reading uh, the John Byrne X-Men and the yeah. George Perez New Teen Titans.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, recently on, you know, different episodes of uh, Rob Liefeld's Observations, he talks about how in the 1980s a lot of fans in the comic book shops would go and they would have the arguments who is the better artist? Or who is your favorite, George Perez or John Byrne? Uh, and I'll John put, Bur- I was going to put you on the spot right there. Perfect. <laughs> and that, well,
1: like Perez was just it was so tight, right? And and Burns was a little bit looser. It was more shape-driven. And for me, I'm a, I'm a real manga fan, so things that were a little bit more shape-driven, a little bit more energetic, was more towards my inkling. Um, but, I mean, both are... I mean, it's like comparing, like, yeah, two great pieces of steak, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, what do you like better, prime rib, or, you know, uh, or, or tarp sirloin, or, or whatever. You know, it's, it's it's kind of hard, but, I mean, for me, it was more about John Byrne because I really enjoyed the Chris Claremont stories.
2: Um, on the topic of John Byrne, do you are you reading his uh, current serialized online X-Men Elsewhere's?
1: Uh, I didn't even know that existed. I didn't know that was a thing.
2: So, so uh, yeah, on his uh, website, Byrne Robotics, he's currently going through creating his own quote-unquote X-Men fan fiction, and it's an original oh, story. Right. Yeah, and it's like the raw pencils, he's putting word bubbles on them, throwing them on his forum, page by page, like I think each day is a new page each month and it's like you know one month is an entire story so he tells this new original story and it's the story he's always wanted to tell so like it's got the fantastic four it's got the avengers showing up
1: oh that's awesome and like, he's
2: doing if, a phenomenal if, job
1: if you always want to see all the x-men interact with other characters um because he was just kind of a you really didn't see that much like once in a while i remember like uh an issue of Iron Fist, where he fought Sabertooth and the X-Men showed up, and for me, I was like, wow, that's a big deal. Because you really didn't see that. You know, maybe Spider-Man would show up in Daredevil occasionally, but they wouldn't. So Especially you don't cross the streams too much, yes. but nowadays, it's par for the course. Like, Spider-Man's in outer space, or Daredevil's on Asgard, which makes no freaking sense at all. It's like, why would he be in Asgard? I don't Why? Like, Daredevil don't care about Asgard. Like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't understand.
0: Well, when you, uh, when you and your brothers were growing up and reading and sharing the comics, did you treat them well, or were you like, no, I'm, I'm going to read this one now, you give me that, and they kind of got messed up, or...?
1: Yeah, we would, we would swap comics all the time, because, like, my older brother was like, these are mine, and those are yours. And I'm just like, well, why did you give me all the crappy war comics now? Because, like, I was always well, a superhero. What so we uh, have to trade and swap issues all the time.
0: But know? that's where they started for you, and what war comics were they, if you remember?
1: Uh, Sergeant Rock and Weird War Tales. I think Weird War Tales were my favorite because a lot of the tales had creature commandos in it, had a lot of sci fi stuff worked into it. Um, it wasn't just straight up uh, standard uh war comic genre. Um, the NBA stuff was great too, but uh, it just like Joe Cooper and alfredo Alacall, guys because they're such masters, but when you're kinda of growing up on that stuff and you discover somebody like John Byrne or Jack Kirby who style is so radically different it just it kind of blows your mind because as a little kid like when you don't you don't have experience so there's no measure of anything so everything is like a gigantic movie to you you know what i mean so when you see this it just blows your mind something else is blowing your mind you're like whoa my god what is this and you don't even know who these people are like you just recognize for me i recognize the style anywhere um um and then like i think we, I didn't even know how to pronounce Byrne's name right. It was John Bryan or whatever. <laughs> we, we didn't know. You know. I mean, like, for me, I was just some stupid kid wiping my boogers trying to draw comics, you know, and uh, it wasn't until years later when I was 16, I actually, I went to my first Comic-Con, and then I got to meet John Byrne, um, Jack Kirby, a bunch of these other guys, and it was just, for me, it was, it was amazing, because it was my first show. Um, I was a little disappointed, though, because as a kid, in your mind, you have a idea built up about what these guys look like because I thought all oh, these guys who like draw these big buff these kind of are big and buff themselves, but I saw them, <laughs> like, nothing. Nothing. Mm. Like you just like, what? Oh, okay. Like, oh, all right. You know, it's just like, experience, right? You, just have to be good. you don't know.
2: And one thing uh, a second ago, Eddie mentioned with you know the you know the trading back and forth of the books. Yeah. That you know the idea that a book you know can get like a little floppy and everything you know like aged or just as I lovingly say well loved and like that's right. when I you know go back issue diving I tend to gravitate towards those books the, you know the worn ones because it shows that they were appreciated by the person and you know I'm going to take a guess you weren't much of a, a bag and board kind of person back in the day right?
1: I didn't even know what a bag and board was until probably the early 90's so I used to have a stack of comics I kept in a shoebox a couple shoeboxes around my shelf I would flip through. And for me, I didn't care about condition. It was more about, oh, this is G.I. Joe, you know, the island issue or G.I. Joe, whatever, this is Take Eyes' story. This, that's what was important to me. And the the art in the story was what was important to me. And for me, I'd flip through these comics all the time. I tried to redraw what I saw in the comics, you know what I mean? Because for me, that was, that was what it was about. I was all excited about
0: it. And as so, far as any early methods of storage, I mean, a shoebox is really the perfect size container before the age of plastic and sterilite and all that kind of stuff. Oops, there's another brand. Um, but you didn't know any better, and, well, depending on what size foot you have, of course.
2: <laughs> but, you know, Eddie just mentions about, you know, like, you guys mentioned in general of the idea of storing these books, like, we right. didn't, you know, you didn't know where to store these things. That's what always makes me curious about the books, like, they just, like, somebody finds a mint condition action comics number one white you know off-white cream pages or whatever you know and like how did they store these things how did they take such damn good care
1: of them sometimes those are publisher copies that they had in a warehouse somewhere that nobody found I mean uh, it's kind of weird too because there's this whole uh, myth around those books are rare they weren't really rare for the time because there's like millions of copies green printed up of those old action comics and stuff like that I think the only reason why they're rare is because they got pulled for the war effort but Huh. For me, I just—I mean, I—I I kept them under, in a shoebox underneath my bed. I would just pull them out and I wanted to read them, you know. Um, or, God forbid, go to the bathroom and read comic books all day, you know. My mom's like, "What are you doing in there?" You know, he's like, <laughs> "Reading comics," you know. So, um, and if you, the, if you didn't put
0: the—if you didn't put the shoebox under the bed, maybe you went into into the uh, wardrobe closet, coat closet, and there were mothballs in there. So maybe that helped,
2: Eddie. What brand of mothball? I doesn't matter,
1: <laughs> right. You know, I didn't start buying multiples until the 90s, I think. Like, uh, I think 91, like around high school, uh, 91, 92, like uh, when Youngblood and and the image stuff started coming, I started buying more multiples. But, uh, well, I guess, you know, when the uh, pre-image guys started doing more books, I guess, I remember buying multiples, because I had multiples of like... uh, the uh, Jim Lee, what is it? The Jim Lee Uncanny issue, where it's Captain America, Wolverine, and Black Widow on the cover.
2: I know the uh, issue. They uh yeah. recently reprinted like a recolorized one in uh, Ed Pisker's X Men Grand Design Extinction. I know that. It's uh, oh,
0: I th-
1: it's like sacrilegious to recolor any of that stuff. It's just like, leave it alone.
0: Well, what uh, John Boy? What happened? You were buying multiples all of a sudden.
1: Um, you know, I, you know, one I had, I had a better allowance. Um. <laughs> So, and I did chores, I had like a paper route, so I can actually buy stuff. So I would spend that on comics. So comics were like anywhere from, uh, I think early on they went from 25 cents to 40 to 65 to 65. And then by the time I was buying more, it was like 75 cents to a 25. So there was an issue, like a general issue I really love, like on X-Men, um, where Rogue was in the Savage Land. I'm like, oh man, I gotta buy an extra copy because I would have a copy I would save, because I want to keep it in good shape, but I had a copy that I, was, I called my artist copies, so I had a whole stack of um, comics on a desk in my brother's room, which was supposed to be a studying desk, but he never used it, so I would have it as my art desk, which it always piss him off. Um, but <laughs> uh, um, I would go I would in there, and those were my artist copies, and I would use those to draw, those to draw from, like, oh, okay.
2: Would you say a Jim Lee figure was, like, your main inspiration as an artist?
1: No, actually, it was uh, Michael Golden. And uh, Michael Golden and Arthur Adams were the two most prolific guys starting out for me. Because um, I loved uh, Golden stuff. I had a couple of Batman issues by Golden, which I thought were amazing. Um, and I was like, who is this guy? He should be drawing Batman all the time. And then I discovered Arthur Adams. Uh, on these uh, X-Men annuals that I found at the local like, 7-Eleven type stuff um, where it was like, you know, when he did the Asgardian War stuff, um, I was just like, there was just something about art's work, right? that right bounce of detail, um, um, kind of cartoon, just real shape-driven, a lot of energy. Uh, I think for me, like like a lot of other guys, Arthur Adams was like, well, like a, a real... Uh, Energizing factor for me to really just start trying to get better and better and better. Two, so. thing,
2: two things about uh, Arthur Adams I've always you know found interesting. One, I met him at uh, I think New York Comic Con one year, and I walk up to him and I go, "You ink your own stuff, right?" He goes, "Yeah," and I go, "It's already so detailed as is, and you're going over it again. You make me wish I wasn't as lazy as an artist as I am because you put uh-huh. so much effort. It's insane." And then you know the other comment was like all the detail he puts in. He's not always going to be there, you know, like, there's not going to be an Arthur Adams ongoing series, but there'll be, like, one issue. And, like, Rob Liefeld recently equated him, I think, on Rob Servations to Santa Claus. That one time a year that Arthur Adams is going to show up, come down our chimney with a comic book, and it's, it's absolutely insane, you know, the detail, like, you're going to wait a year for it, but when it shows up, oh God.
1: Oh yeah, that's where you, like, you want to buy multiple copies of it, because you just want to you want to read it. You want to study it. You want to appreciate it. You want to soak it in and get it into your DNA. You know, I mean, I mean, he inspired so many people, like uh, guys like uh, Joe Matarera and Jason Pearson and Arthur Adam or Arthur Adams, Scott Campbell. Like he was basically like this this source of inspiration for all of us. That you know, he is very deeply ingrained in so many artists' DNA. But that's what it is about creating something and doing something different and trying... That's the value of trying to do something different and bring something new to the game. Um, You know, working in your passions into uh, art. Like, I know art was a big fan of uh, cartoons and anime and things like that, and the same things I enjoyed uh, growing up. And, And that stuff he put into his work, and for me it resonated, you know, so...
2: You mentioned uh, anime and manga and stuff like that. What were your uh, anime manga influences?
1: Uh, my very first one was Dragon Ball Z, which I liked. I thought the storylines were so stupid. I was like, this makes no sense. But the, the animation was so amazing. But uh, I discovered a thing called Dra- uh, Ninja Scroll, which totally this was a game changer for me. I had a Blu-ray copy on VHS. I loved it so much, I actually hunted down one at the local store and bought it and the guy who sold it to me was like well there's a parental rating on here and I think I was like 16 or 17 he goes ah you're close enough so I bought the official VHS of it I was watching it and just trying to like wow this is is just so amazing like this is how all animation should look right um
2: it's so violent and bloody
1: (laughs) well yes yeah I mean that's not why I liked it I mean there's a lot of like sex and gore and stuff that was not the reason why I enjoyed it um it was more about how the characters moved, the character design, um, the action, how they told the story, the shots they picked. Very cinematic. And, and for me, it's, it's those things that kind of elevated what animation was. Because I think Ninja Scroll can go toe to toe with any modern blockbuster today, shot for shot. And, and what was done in the shots they picked, and the, and the choreography, and the things that they did. Still hold its own today. If you watch it. it, it very much holds up, especially for what's considered a animated cartoon or, or whatever. You know, um, I know it's, it's those things that are very prolific on you that make it its indelible mark on you that kind of carries you through your career. And these are things that are always cost sources of inspiration that you draw back to the well to Because like uh, we'd spoken earlier before you guys started talking, like we were talking about uh, kind of rediscovering. Things that you grew up in your childhood, and I'm rereading, like, you know, uh, everyone Just said Conan's, the original ones with the original coloring on it, uh, old John Burnback issues, stuff like that. I'm starting to read, digest all that stuff again, because comics now are, are kind of like totally different now than they were then. You know, it's, it's more of a, a, a brand now, you know, the Batman brand, the Batman family, the Batman book, where it's just Batman the story, you know. Um, And I'm I'm finding myself going back to the stuff that was really inspirational for me. My younger days that got me drawing, I'm like, oh, yeah, John Byrne stuff. Like, let me re-digest this stuff and and try to connect with that stuff again and see if there's things that I can use at it now as a more uh, quote-unquote mature artist now and see if I can maybe push that stuff into my work again. Like, is there anything there for me to mine and, and figure out, you know?
2: And you mentioned him uh, off mic earlier, you know, his artwork on X-Men. Paul mm-hmm. Smith, he is absolutely, in my opinion, one of the most underrated X-Men artists of all time. Just the f- It's one of those, you don't appreciate it when you're seeing it, but when you look back on it, you're like, wow, that was, that was awesome, and I got to experience that.
1: Yeah, especially when they would, uh, uh, like when Dave Huckerman came back to the book, there's a marked difference. I just couldn't pick it up anymore because it just wasn't the same, you know? And not, not a knock, Dave, at all. It was just like, for me, it was just like, okay, well, Burn is just, like, so prolific. His is already so amazing. It's kind of like, I'm just going to follow this guy to wherever he lands next. And I think Burn, after the X-Men, he went to Fantastic Four, and I started picking that up. And uh, I love Fantastic Four from the Kirby days, but kind of grew out of that a little bit. Been reconnected with it again when John Byrne
0: started on it. So. That's pretty fun. From the Herbie days, you said? Kirby. Kirby, I'm Kirby sorry. I'm Kirby. like, wait a minute. Herbie wasn't in there for that long, I don't think. So <laughs> that was an interesting point to, uh, to ref zero in on. I'm like, wait
2: a minute. My bad. It's the
0: phone line. No, no.
1: All good. Yeah.
2: <laughs> one, one thing, though, going over to uh, the Paul Smith run of X-Men that I really enjoy is the fact that the way he makes those characters look, because X-Men, yes, is an allegory, for, you know, things like the civil rights movement and whatnot, but it's also the story of these characters that are teenagers, you know, coming into their powers and the awkwardness of it, and he makes those characters look, you know, like Cyclops and any, when whenever any of the new mutants would show up, like these lanky kind of teenagers, just awkward, they're growing into themselves, and Paul Smith did a phenomenal job of that.
1: Yeah, I wish Paul would, would have continued his run past that. I think, uh, so after Burn, I think I think Cochran in back... No, actually, Paul Smith took over. And I love Paul's stuff, too, don't get me wrong. Um, stuff was great. And after Paul left, I think Cochran came back for a couple of issues. But, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, Paul was pretty prolific as well. Like, there's just... Uh, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with though, Terry Austin was the consistent factor between both books, I think. I think Terry was... If I... I don't, I'm not mistaken, Terry Austin was inking both guys, so... Um, but yeah, it was it was such a great. I mean, honestly, it's kind of like the '96 Bulls team, right? <laughs> it's just like an untouchable run. Like it's just perfect. Like what these guys did on these books. I mean, I think that's what every creator wants to do: is have that prolific run where you just are on a book for an extended amount of time, and it's just you and your creative team trying to make the best book you can and leave your mark on it. You know which. It's almost impossible to do these days, but, uh, um, yeah, it's uh, it's something to aspire to, that's for sure, like, uh, pretty
2: untouchable in my mind. Recently, uh, I just finished, like, a binge read of the entire run of uh, Claremont's time, you know, initial run on X, so, like, from, I think, what was it, uh, 92 or 93, all the way up to uh, his final issue, I think, uh, 281, give or take, or 278. But I'm reading yeah. everything in between, you know, reading his new mutant stuff, reading his time on X. I think he was doing X factor very briefly, but like all of the stuff. And it's like, he's a guy who looking back on it, he did not miss. Like it was always a consistent hit at, you know, him as a writer. And then he was given the absolute best artists and just a combination like that. That's very
1: rare. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, the thing is, when you have sales like that, you, you gives you a little bit more power to push back and to do what you want to do because it's like, well, hey, you know, we're successful so far. Like, you know, let's continue to do this until we're not. You know, and uh, it, it's kind of weird, though, too, because, like, things run full circle. Like, I actually got to work with Claremont on a X-Men miniseries called Gen X United, which was a sequel to Gen X, which is supposed to be the future X-Men, I guess. Maybe it's a pocket universe. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, you grew up reading somebody's work and, and loving their work, and then later on down the road, you get to work with them.
2: How hands on is Claremont, you know, on the book with, like, art, you know, with uh, art duties? Like, how hands on is he with that?
1: You know, it was, it was a bit of a letdown, to be honest with you, because, like, I, I mailed him this really, looking back on it, stupid fanboy letter because i was working on this with him and i'm like oh i'm such a big fan i'm looking forward to it like hey you know is there you know uh if i've got questions can i just talk to you about this like hey can we do this or that and he just said like, just follow the script i really oh. don't want to talk <laughs> like that was it
3: mm-hmm.
1: i was like oh okay <laughs> and then my editor there was like look if there's anything you want to do john boy just run it by me like it's all good. Cause they're like, we have to condense this down anyway, because I think he wrote 10 issues worth of stuff and we had to condense it down to I think five. So
2: that makes sense.
1: Oh, it was, it was was horrible in the sense that almost every panel was like six to nine panels because there's so much text, so much stuff going on. And I was just like, I was like, you know, it'd be better if I just combined these two shots because it's just like, it's almost the same. Um, try to condense down down. I was trying to find ways to make the art breathe a little, the story breathe, because it's so packed. Um, but uh, I, I think we did an okay job. Like, uh, I don't know if Claremont liked it, but, you know, I mean, um, for, for, like, one of my, like, you know, first X-Men, my, my only X-Men project, I think, uh, I was pretty proud of it at the time, like, five issues of the cake, great, you know? Um But uh, I I wish Claremont could come back and do more X-Men stuff. But, you know, it's really hard for a single creator to try to make their mark on things now because things are so brand-heavy now in comics. It's very corporate. So, you know, you have, you know, editorial. They're not really editors per se. They are, but they're also brand managers. So they're working within the company to say, this is what these characters are. This is the scope in which you have to write these characters. It's kind of like you're writing and drawing, like, you know, like, the adventures of Doritos. You know what I mean? You <laughs> know <laughs> Doritos does, at the end of the day, they're still Doritos. You're like, okay, how boring.
2: Can you retcon back in the Taco Bell one?
1: Because that yeah, one was delicious. You, you would think so, right? Like, when Taco Bell fought Doritos. But it just doesn't happen now, because you can't take on another brand, because you get sued. Um, it, it's more about, like... I think that's my frustrating thing working in corporate comics is, especially on the narrative end, uh, it's just characters don't really arc anymore. Like, uh, um, you know, you want at the end of the story, the character be marked and changed by the events of that story. Because then I think you get reader investment. Like they're not the same people. Like Wolverine turns from a loner to, Hey, he's kind of a team player. still kind of a dick, but kind of a cool dude. Like he's has man in history, you know? So, um, but uh, it's it's really hard because if that doesn't fit with the narrative of what, you know, the company or editorial wants, you're, you're kind of like okay, so at the end of the day Batman is still Batman, he wins the day and off to fight again and you're just like, nothing changes it's like, wow you know there should be a price to being Batman you know, like Bruce Wayne should you know, like have a bionic eye or, you know, he's got a robotic arm or he's got something, there should be a cost to the hero being being the hero, but I, I get it because these brands have to transcend and keep going, but I, I think every ten years or so it is smart to kind of uh, wipe the city clean and start over because you should because it's a new generation of readers but uh, you know and, you know, I mean what do I know? You know, um, for me I love these characters. For me I just don't want them to see even stay in the same place. You know, you want them to evolve. So
2: and when things evolve it also means a change in the art style and stuff like that and you were responsible for a change in the title that brought my attention to your artwork and that's spawn and i'm on a massive 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 spawn kick right now that'll be a podcast for another day but how did you get in touch with the todd father todd mcfarlane and be involved with that universe
1: I mean, it's kind of weird. I was working at Riot Games and actually transitioning out to go back into comics. And uh, I was supposed to have something on the cooker with DC, but at Comic-Con I talked to them and said, hey, you know, we got some stuff coming up. I said, cool, you know, I'm going to be out of games soon, so let's, let's get growing. And towards the end of the second day of Comic-Con, I think it was on a Friday? No, it was a third day, Friday. Todd was walking around with his wife, and I was cleaning up. He stopped by, I was like, oh, what is this? I was like, oh, my God, it's Tom and So we had a 10, 15-minute talk uh, about comics and things we liked, and I gave him a copy of my sketchbook. And I'm like, hey, man, like, hey, much respect. like, hey, um, love Spawn, like, you know, uh, hopefully we'll see you. So, like, come back to Spawn. start drawing Spawn again, he laughed. But uh, that was it. And then uh, a couple weeks later, I, I, I get a phone call. And uh, it's Todd McFarlane. He goes, "Hey, is this John Boy Myers here? What's up, bud?" And I was like, "Who is this? Like, this is I like this is Todd McFarlane." I was like, "Yeah, whatever." And
2: aside, but, I Bob, love that he's, everyone he's, has a Todd, Todd impression.
1: Well, yeah. Well, I feel horrible. I think Rob has a better impression than I do. But uh, um, he said, "No, we talked about this." I was like, "Oh my god, it is you!" I was like, "Hey, what's up, man? Like, what's, uh, what's, what's going on?" Because, like, for me, like you know, like, who, who wouldn't want to get a call from one of their, like, childhood heroes, you know, and I mean, it's like, wow, um, but he said that he was gonna be bringing Al Simmons back, he wanted to know if I wanted to, uh, work on spawn, I was like, yeah, absolutely, so I told DC, he's like, hey, uh, I can't do this thing with you guys, They're like, well, I was like, well, maybe work kind on of spawn with Dr. Farley, and everyone's was like, oh, that's awesome, cool, yeah, go for that, that's cool, oh, no worries, so, um, so that's pretty much how that happened, and talking to Todd, he was really gracious about like, uh, because you know we're bringing out back, you know, we want to do something different, so you know, however you want to do it, you know, whatever you want to do on design, you want to mess around with it, you know, make it your, do your own thing which was really refreshing because like, having back issues with Spawn, like I mean, dude, come on, like, you know there's nothing I can do with Spawn that Todd hasn't done visually or or Crick or so that, you know what I need to just try to do my own take on this character. I want to do something different. You know, I want to kind of like, I don't want to put a lot of blacks. I want all the colors to do that. I want to do something that's a little bit more open. Tattered cape, he's a little bit more desaturated, a little bit more vicious. You know, he has more spikes and things like that on his hands. He has claws. Um, and gave, gave him the big kind of like, shesher uh, like you know, skull grin and stuff like that. I think that's... Uh, what I wanted to do to try to distinguish my run from everyone else's. That way, it's like, hey, like it or hate it, because people are like, oh, it's just venom. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I just wanted to do something different, so people would just say, oh, that's John Boy's run instead of this is Todd's run or Caputo's run. Um, you know, you're you're better off trying to do something new with it and let it be its own thing. And then instead of getting, you know, your work compared to all these other grades. I mean, there's there's no way. I'm going to be able to compete with that.
2: You know? And that's what I admire about your run because it is its own unique style. And it's, again, what drew me into that run and, you know, getting into that character again. And it's, for some reason, for me, it's got, like, looking at the covers especially, it's got a very animated style. Like, I could see it in motion being an animated series. Like, you took the uh, 97 Spawn animated series, turned that up to 11, made it your own thing and it's cool to look at, you know?
1: Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I wanted to do something where I kind of plays up my my roots as far as my love for anime and things like that. I still had to keep it grounded, though, because Todd's like, hey, you know, try to make it as as gritty as you can without, you know, sacrificing what you do as an artist. So I was like, okay, well, cool. I'll I'll try to do different things. Uh, I try to, I don't know, I just try to do something. It was a really good time to come back into comics from games and try to experiment a little bit and see what works and see what doesn't. Todd was really cool about going in and actually drawing on top of panels, fixing things and things like that. It it was a really nice collaborative effort, and I got to work with Paul Jenkins on the story. Um, I mean, so Paul left, which was sad. I was really sad to see Paul go. But, uh, um, you know, honestly, I think... I have a lot of good memories about working on Spawn, and I really wish if Paul would have stayed, I think my run would have been a lot longer. I would have stayed as well. It just, I think logistically, you know, it just with, with Todd coming back in and taking over the writing duties, I mean, you have no idea how busy that guy is.
3: Like, like the things that
1: he does. Um, like, I'd be lucky sometimes if I got like maybe 20 minutes of his time. You know, because he's running a toy company, he was rewriting the Spawn movie, doing like 30 billion different things. I'm like, what do you do? He goes, oh, I'm flying out to do this. I'm that toy fair. We're like, oh, well, we'll talk later. You know, it was uh, it was just different. Like working with Paul, you know, we could talk on the phone all the time. And then working with Todd, it was just really tough. Really, really tough. So,
2: And the thing thing with Todd of how, you know, he does so much, I've seen him at New York Comic-Con walking around, giving someone a portfolio review in mid-motion, just walking through the, you know, Artist Alley lanes, and again, just giving pointers to this young kid, you know, looking through his portfolio, and it's like, it's not surprising when I see that. I'm just like, yeah, Todd would do that. It's kind of like, you know, Rob Liefeld uh, inking a page in a comic while driving. (laughs) No, that really happened. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's crazy, right? Like, the energy these guys have. Like, I always compare, I always so feel like, you know, you're like the modern Stanley. I think, so when Stan dies, you're going to pick up that mantle. Because he has that same love for the fans and fan service and that energy. He's so high energy. I'm just like, jeez. I might call that like. <laughs> like you know, take it easy. But he goes, no, I've got this and that. Like, you know, we were... Well, even at Comic-Con, where we were doing stuff. He was like, okay, I've got an hour here. All right, I'm out of here. I was like, where well, yeah. are I was like, well, i got this thing in sci-fi. like, okay, all right, good seeing you. That was it. You know, boom, gone. And um, as,
2: as someone involved with the character, what is the... What do you think is the lasting... Or what causes this character have such a lasting impact in pop culture?
1: Oh, well, I think Spawn is... um well, I think it's probably because first and foremost it's Todd, you know, and, and Spawn is an extension of Todd. He's, he's just one of those characters that, it, it birthed, that that kind of skirts the line between superhero and horror. And there's not many superhero horror books that are, that are actually really well done, in my opinion. Um, maybe Swamp Thing or something like that. But uh, um, I think the longevity of that character is just that there's so many different artists Contributing their artistic artistic visions to it that kind of keep the title going. You know, if you look through how prolific Spawn has looked through the 300 plus issues that that Todd's had, he's taken very many radical changes, you know. Um, And I I think it's that visual narrative that kind of keeps things going because, um, you know, any artist can come into that title and, and pick their own, like, incarnation of Spawn or whether it be like, you know, medieval Spawn or current Spawn or, uh, gunslinger Spawn or, or whatever, know, well, there's all these, all these characters. I can't tell me kind of like, look, we got to find a way to tie the toy line into the comic. More. Like I want to do something with Raven Spawn. I want to do this. I want to do that. Um, and sadly those things never came to fruition, but I think he's starting to do some of that now. So, uh, which is kind of nice because then those ideas don't die. He kind of, Picks that up and says, oh, well, yeah, I remember this. Maybe we can work that into our current story, which is good because, you know, I was a big fan of those toys. I mean, who didn't have those toys in the early 90s? You know, you go to your local targets and just hunt down like, oh, man, if I can just find a werewolf from Wetworks, I'll be happy. You know what I mean? um, I don't know if you guys remember that. I don't know if that's your time or not. uh, I remember doing many a toy hunt for for McFarland toys.
2: I know that was uh I'm a kid of the 90s so like the that the McFarlane Toys logo is is burned into my brain to be completely honest. And it's kind of funny because the you know the McFarlane Toys I we did an episode with uh Todd a few months ago and I made the comment I go I like Marvel Legends but I love the DC Multiverse figures and that's the truth because it's there's just something about the attention to detail that McFarlane Toys does and you don't see that and especially because like when we went to Toy Fair I'm looking at you know the McFarland Toys booth checking everything out and it's a like some of them are like $20 toys but the attention to detail the level of detail I bought a
1: that is taught very much because he'll look at something that dude is super competitive like he'll look at something and be like you know what we're going to do it better I'm going to do it better watch watch what we're doing and uh, I think that kind of what you're going to get from Todd, like, I think that competition breathes out, like, when he puts stuff out, it's just so much more head and shoulders above everything else. You know, there's a certain handcrafted quality to a lot of his toys. Like, those multiverse toys? Man, I think they blow away <laughs> the Marvel Legends stuff. Like, leave it in the dust, man. Like, the, to me personally, I think, like, night and day.
2: But, the one DC multiverse figure that, like, Really shocked me with how well it looks, and I'm kicking myself for not getting it when I had the chance. But the Oliver Queen uh, Arrow figure from the TV show Arrow looks just like Stephen Amell. The attention to detail is, again, mind blowing. And then you know, there's the recent uh, Mortal Kombat Spawn figure.
1: Oh yeah, if you can find it.
2: Yeah, I was course. lucky; I did find one.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, lucky you, lucky you. So yeah.
2: And um, so. you know, re- like again. It's also like infection. Like you mentioned, how he's like the Stan, the modern day Stan Lee. I'm very much obsessed with the character of Spawn now. I'm you know trying to hunt down all of the issues, trying to hunt down all the stuff, the toys from time to time because I've seen some of the prices of the toys and no, I can't do that now. And I'm not talking about like you know buying it off the shelf because he does make it very affordable, but the resale, oh my god.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know what? Sometimes, cause like we we're talking about Spawn back issues earlier, and like the best place, honestly. I mean, well, probably not now, but, like, because uh, once COVID passes, like, I used to find a lot of cool comics at, like, flea markets and stuff like that, even the old toys. I've,
2: so. been, I've been trying the flea markets and to no luck, because there are some, you know, that they right. do social distancing standards and whatnot, and it's still so hard. It's like I'm trying to hunt down the ones in the 100 uh, numbering, and, again, like, I looked at the price of—you mentioned Gunslinger Spawn. I mentioned Eddie earlier, too. Right, gunslinger spawn—the first appearance goes for hundred and fifty dollars. And I'm Why? just like,
1: you know what? No way! Because like a couple of years ago, it was like ten bucks, like five bucks. It's come
2: on, it's insane. And like I actually uh, just got my hands on a uh, Archangel spawn, which they say it's the first appearance, but it's he's actually not in the entire issue, so it's just the cover you're paying for the first appearance. Right, And that right. book goes for like fifty to seventy-five dollars. And we mentioned earlier, you know, a, a well-loved book. I ended up getting a copy of that that's well loved because it's not connected to the cover. <laughs> so it's like, you know, and again, I got it for the sake of wanting to read it. And that's again the most important thing about these things. You want to read these stories, you want to see these characters keep going forward and Spawn has gone on now as of this recording uh on August 11th. Characters gotten over 300 and I think 7 issues as of this recording.
1: Something like it. It's crazy, though. Right? Like, uh, I, I think for the back issues. I think all the speculators, because everyone's stuck at home. I think the speculator market is booming on everything. It's how to bring in all these old characters back, It's just kind of fueling those. Like, oh, hey. I, I think That's like a sp- so.
2: Marvel has the Spider Verse, and I so badly oh. want to see a Spawn Verse. Like, just all the different you know iterations of the character.
1: Yeah, I always, I always whole time, like, you know, whatever storylines you don't like, you can always spin off into their own miniseries. series it's just selling Pocket Universe. Hmm. And Todd's like, yeah, if I don't like something, I'm just like, I just write it out of canon.
2: <laughs> I just read the yeah. other day uh, Mike Grell's uh, Spawn the Impaler, and one, it's absolutely bonkers, and it's gorgeous to look at.
1: I've never, I didn't even know there was a Spawn of Taylor series.
2: Like, it's uh, it's painted too. It's like drawn by uh, Grell, and then they painted over it, and like it looks, it's so metal. <laughs> you know, it's one of those kind of stories.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. well I'll have to check that out, man. Because like, I know in the early '90s there was Curses Spawn. There was Spawn uh, Dark Ages, I think, wasn't
2: it? Spawn the Dark Ages, Spawn Undead, Hell Spawn. Because these are the ones I'm currently hunting down Planet as well.
1: Twitch,
2: um Case Planet. files as well.
1: For me, I think I was a little disappointed that we didn't have Sam and Twitch in our, in our book, in our run. I kind of wanted to find a way to work them in. Um, we just never got around to it, working with Paul. It bre- um, it bums yeah, me yeah. out
2: that Sam and Twitch, you know, they still haven't had a live action series. Like, because I know Kevin Smith was, uh, he was linked up with them. They were going to do a series for, I think, AMC, and it never came to fruition.
1: But- I'm kind of glad. I'm not a big Kevin Smith fan, dude.
2: Like, <gasps> Sorry, I just wanted
3: to breathe not, in deep for that.
1: No, <laughs> no, it's just like. Every time I think of Kevin Smith, I think of, like, characters named Snoochie Gucci's, and it's just like I can't, I can't get past that. But so I'm just like, maybe not the right guy, you know? I think if you get somebody who does, like, uh, the team who did, like, Boardwalk Empire doing, like, pulpy crime or even True Detective, would be kind of cool. So.
2: With, with uh, Kevin Smith, one thing for me that some people are always shocked to find out from me, I love Kevin Smith, but I can't stand Jane Silent Bob. So. Oh
1: wow! Okay. Yeah. All right.
2: Because I I like the uh, surrounding characters, like you know, like a Brody or a uh, T.S. or uh, Dante and Randall, those kind of characters. But when it's you know Jane, and Bob in there, they get shoehorned in. I'm like. <sighs> <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, I think chasing Amy was his best. I, I think, and then Mallrats I liked
2: too. So. Um, I actually referenced uh, recently on social media the uh, Mallrats line of uh, B.J. and the Bear. Uh, you can't oh, get it off God. of a TV man named Monkey.
1: Mirror. That's right. It that takes me back, too. A man named Monkey.
2: I ended up throwing up, because uh, we mentioned again, you know, the McFarlane toys. I got my hands on the uh, Cygor from the Raw 10, and I'm just. They go hand in hand together. And you threw up? You feeling you okay? Stop that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, again, you mentioned that level of how Todd is like a modern day Stan Lee. Yep. He, he is definitely like that because, like I said, I don't do action figures that much, but I make damn sure now to do McFarlane toy stuff, and it's not, you know, like kissing up or anything. It's because, oh my God, he actually made stuff that I really like. I never discovered this before, but that energy that he has kind of pushes to it. It's like, I got to do this now. This is cool.
1: Yeah, I think there's something about that that. I think any type of art or, or any type of, I guess... of feeds off your nostalgia a little bit but it's really well done it kind of speaks your sensibilities is this stuff that i think i think it's just stuff that resonates with us as comic readers or or fans that we want to oh pick up and enjoy because it kind of rekindles that passion again you know what i mean which is always great whether it be marvel or like todd todd is a very smart dude hard-working guy um i'm I'm glad to see him these DC toys i'm really really happy
2: did you see that documentary that Sci-Fi did for him?
1: Uh, I have not, but I'm looking forward to uh, to watch it. I haven't I have gotten around to it, so I need to watch it
2: now. The it uh, whole thing is on YouTube. I enjoyed it. It's like one of those you watch it and like the way he talks about certain things. You want to take on the world yourself, you know. It's it's like that badass level of that. Although my favorite part of the whole documentary is uh, Greg Capullo shows up in there. Uh-huh. and you know how like when you watch a documentary or a TV show and like somebody's wearing a t-shirt with a brand on it and they blur the brand like if they're wearing like a Nike logo and they just blur right. it what shirts does uh, Greg Capullo normally wear what band Black <laughs> oh, yeah, Label Society
1: yeah. Black,
2: Black Label Society always Black Label Society and I love seeing him show up in the documentary and it's a blurred Black Label Society shirt but it's blurred still, but you can see a gigantic B, a gigantic L, and a gigantic S. And I'm just like, I wonder what band that is. I'm sure it's Seals and Croft. <laughs> it's like, he's synonymous with that. It's so funny now.
1: It, maybe that's like the Ed Hardy t-shirts for metal. <laughs> 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 Oops,
2: dropped another name.
0: <laughs> I don't
1: know. Like, uh, But I, I think that's good, though. Everybody has a kind of trademark look. Exactly. And, uh,
2: when I uh, I was at the uh, Todd McFarlane uh, Guinness World Record thing at New York Comic Con that they did for him,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: I'm standing right behind his assistant, and I see Greg Capullo, and I again I recognize it's Greg Capullo because he's wearing a Black Label Society shirt. And, you know he's taking pictures, and I'm just like, I wonder who that is. That's
1: cool.
2: It's Mark Texiera. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> although if you say Mark Texiera's name three times at a convention, he will show up with a table and ink and pens and everything.
1: It's like Candyman, right? It just shows up. It's like, oh, my God.
2: <laughs> Pretty much. If you're on the East Coast, believe me, uh, text tech, will show up.
1: That's cool,
2: man. Ugh. And, you know, again, I think we'll wrap this one up, but John Boy, big thank you for doing the show today and joining us and talking about our all of our mutual love of funny books.
1: Oh, yes. Thanks for having me, man. It's, it's always great to talk with other fans, man, because, like, I, I don't know if I'm the only one who geeks out about stuff like this. You know, like for me, it's not just a job, it's just like this kind of just a part of me. You know, I love comics so much, and uh, it's really good to get together with other people who love comics and talk about comics. Like, hey, like, this is why I got into this, this is why I do this. You
0: know, it's it's trying to think back real quick to people we have spoken to, whether they've been artists or writers, maybe in some cases both. And I I don't know if it's the, the inkers or the artists that. Are more in, invested in in their creations in that respect because it's it's a, it's visual. It's not just doing words, but mm-hmm. but I think all across the board though, people that are doing the writing or the drawing are definitely immersed whole 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 hog as it will, and just loving what they do and you know living the dream. It's it's the the dream the ultimate dream that they could possibly have, and uh, we're happy that we can make connections with people like yourself and and talk about it to others who enjoy this stuff.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, uh, we got to do this again.
2: Absolutely. You you definitely have an open-door invite anytime you want to come on.
1: Right. On. I'll take you up on it. All right.
2: Now, uh, how can people get a hold of you on social media?
1: Uh, I am on Instagram, JohnBoy007007, 007, 007, and also on Facebook. I have the Art of John Boy Myers, and, of course, the John Boy Myers page as well. Uh, I'm no longer on Twitter. I left Twitter. It's just too toxic. So, I was like, Yeah.
2: Twitter. Uh, yeah, t- the yeah. funniest thing is that changed as a platform oh so much, and it's it's kind of funny. You're like, you're the 180 of a previous guest we just recently had, uh, JMD Mateus, who uh-huh. you know he mentions he's like, I love Twitter. I always have positive experiences on there, and I'm like, what what app
3: are you using? Because <laughs> <laughs> like I
1: always have to like watch people or do. i like, oh come on. I don't want to. I don't want. It's so negative. I was just like, you know what. Like like twenty, we all know that twenty twenty has been a dumpster fire. We all know that
2: <sighs> on roller skates.
1: Yeah, so it's like, let's not make it any worse. Let's, let's let's put some positivity out there, which which is nice, which I always like talking about politics is, is fun positive stuff. You know, it's just like, hey man, you know, and I don't I don't need to be reminded about how uh, I don't know. Just I think I feel like politics in general is taking a beating this year. You know, I feel like my, my heart goes out to my friends in D.C. right now. And, Downsizing going on, and uh, with shops struggling, you know a lot of creators getting called out on, on bad behavior. It's man, it's just. Thanks a lot of twenty twenty.
2: When you men- when you mention comic shops, you know with them struggling, let's uh, throw some good vibes into the world. What's the name of the comic shop that you like to frequent the most? Do they have an online shop, and how can people support them?
1: I, I do uh, elusive uh, when I get a chance uh, here in uh, San Jose and uh, uh, Golden Apple is always great. Uh, Frankie's Comics is always good. Uh, Big Time Collectibles, uh, m M&M m Comics. Uh, I try to order a little bit from everybody. Uh, Midtown, try to spread it around as much as I can. That way I'm trying to throw my money around a little bit to show my support. And I think I just did some stuff with Valiant where I uh, had a bunch of original art for all my color, uh, my covers the Killers. I don't know if you guys know what the series is from Valiant. We just uh, gave all the covers out to to, uh, some shops so they can just auction off or do whatever to raise money so just trying to make sure like like every shop that's out there we really need to keep going because for me I want to see comics continue whether um, it be in, in shop form or digital or something it's just we gotta you know I think if people can have a good experience around comics like we did growing up I think they're going to be readers for life so just making sure that those avenues are open as much as we can you know what I mean
2: Yeah, when the uh, pandemic initially started, like, our local comic shop ended up closing, but they ended up opening up their own online shop, and...
1: Oh, that's great, okay.
2: You know, the funniest thing was, I went in, like, not too long ago, and the person in charge of the shop goes, yeah, I'll be honest, you know, you just got a discount on that because you helped us, you know, you bought stuff when, you know, we were closed. I made sure, like, every week to try and get at least one little thing from there, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, like, trying to... I mean, you'd be surprised, like... You know, everyone feels beat up, but I think it's just a little hand up. Everyone appreciates, like, hey, look, like, you know, like, show your support and, and try to do what you can. And, and I, think that's, I think that's the best thing you can do to support the industry right now is, is to try to help out local comic shops, buy comics, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting time right now. Like, 2020 has been very interesting and very hard on comics this year. So hopefully next year of 2021 will be a lot better for everybody, I hope.
2: The one the one thing that breaks my heart this year was, you know, yeah, we have free comic book day summer, but free comic book day was, like, the best day of the year, because you can go to all the different shops, you know, go That's visit. True. I You know, it broke my heart that it didn't happen this year, but I, I did make damn sure to end up buying a book, you know, from the local comic shop that day.
1: Well, I think it still kind of happened, but, you know, I think with a limited amount of people you can have in shops and only a couple of people at a time, and I know it's been frustrating for a lot of people, but just... This- a little bit of patience, a little bit of empathy, I think, will go a long way. It's like, hey, look, man, we're all in this together.
2: You know? Absolutely.
1: Like, let's just try to hunker down and get through it. As best we can. So, for sure, and I appreciate you guys like always supporting Chops. That's that's great. I think uh, we should bring that up more often. You know, like people always forget. Like you know, as much as you read comics, you know, it's like, hey, there's this whole team of people in order for comics to continue that need your support.
2: All right, so for the Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm
1: John Boy Myers.
0: And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, for another edition of Obsessed with Marvel with John Boy Myers. Thank you, John Boy. No, 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 that's our job. Please. We'll get (laughs) get upset if uh, we're upstaged or correct. 1772, what a year. The question is. In which issue of Strange Tales does Dr. Strange not appear? Three. It was... I'm right, though. The choices are... And it's all multiple choice. Number 112, 113, 114, or 115. I have never seen a question like this before. They're all from the year 1963. But in which issue of Strange Tales does Doctor Strange not appear?
2: He skipped an issue. I remember that because I was, like, trying to, you know, read the uh, series in order. He took a sick day, I suppose. I'm... He did.
1: Well, the Doctor is not in, right? Or maybe I would say 114.
0: You say 114. Okay.
2: I, I'm i just... I'm thinking that, too, because it seemed like it was, I think, he made his first appearance in 110, wasn't it? Mm. Something like that. Uh, yeah, it's
0: somewhere around there. Yeah, Right. Okay. Well, for the sake of not knowing what the heck we're doing, letter C, 114, it is not correct. The answer is 112.
2: Wow. It wasn't even number. It was, because I remember he went, I think, 110, 111, disappeared for an issue, and then came back. Well, yeah, now we know that. Yeah, well, yeah.
1: He <laughs> is a master of the mystic Arts, so I guess <laughs> <could see> that. <laughs> and, right.
2: a, and,
0: a, and a math, a mather, too, perhaps. I don't know.
2: Dormammu, we've come to bargain. Dormammu, oh, we've come correct. to bargain. What do you want? Or well, movie, we're coming to bargain. He, he he sounds like he's. I I love uh, Benadryl Cucumber Patch, but like he he kind of sounds like uh, he's doing Hugh Laurie in a house. Set me free. But he okay. comes off his garage door.
1: Kind of. You know, I enjoyed Doctor Strange though. That's one of my favorite Marvel movies. My um, least favorite is Captain Marvel. And I don't know why. Because I want to love that movie more than I do, but I just I can't.
2: Captain Marvel is a good movie, but it's not the greatest because all it is is just the same standard origin story repeated. And yeah, it's, yeah uh, eh, that's why I, it is down there is one of my least favorites, but it's not I, I, as bad as The Hulk, though.
1: I, I, th- I think I know what it is. It's in my heart of hearts, I wanted Charlize Theron to be Captain Marvel, and it's Brie Larson. Nothing against Brie, she's amazing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I just think Charlize would have been Captain Marvel.
2: My jaw kind of just dropped from that because it does, that makes perfect sense to see her in that role.
1: Yeah, she would be. She, she, she would totally kick ass.
2: In that. I'm surprised sure. she was not in that.
1: Yeah, me too, man. Um, kind of just. It's like, oh. oh. If they get yeah. another
0: phase, maybe that'll uh, go into it like a Spider Man thing. Toby, Andrew, Mar- you know, whatever. Okay. 695. Yeah. Here Martin, we go.
2: Martin Landau, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Who was Maxwell Markham? Maxwell Markham, was it will of the wisp the Grizzly, Humbug, or the Hypno-Hustler? Maxwell Markham. Again, Will-o'-the-Wisp, the Grizzly, Humbug, the Hypno-Hustler.
1: I'm going to say Hypno-Hustler.
2: We'll go with him, but I was thinking Grizzly for some reason. But it makes sense. that w- I've never heard of Hypno-Hustler.
0: I kind of have.
2: I'm not sure of that I've heard have.
0: of. I'm <laughs> not sure I've heard of humbug. I'm I've heard of humbug. We will try, but that's usually an Ebenezer Scrooge thing. You stop that. All right, letter D. Let's try it. No, the answer is the grizzly. Oh,
1: hey, <laughs> oh, okay, we should go with here. Oh man, Wait, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, over oh,
0: two. Yes, yeah, that's it's it's okay. It's it's kind of. I have mar- to
1: turn in my marble card. You guys have to rip it up in front of me. And what? Me
0: out. You got a card? Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> I've got a rock. I missed it. Uh, oh, thanks, yeah. Charlie Brown. Okay, so let's move up to nineteen oh seven.
2: That was a decent year, probably. All right. Uh, well. Perhaps. Well, none of us were there, so we don't know.
0: What was the name of Danny Rand's mother? Is it Martha? Mar-
2: I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm starting off
0: the same syllable. Miranda, Joy, Heather, or Jenny.
2: Danny Rand's mother. Miranda, Joy, Heather, Jenny. There's Joy Meacham who's involved with uh the Rand stuff. I know that from a recent watch of uh The Thundering Dumbass Iron Fist. I
1: would say Heather, man. She looks she sounds like Heather. Heather Blaze.
0: Heather be thy name. Wait a minute. That's that's Wayne's World. Okay. We're not worthy. Let's go with Heather. We're going to go. You're going to go off Joy and go to Heather? Let's try no, Heather. I Let her see. Joy Me-
2: It is Heather.
0: Oh, uh,
1: thank God. All right.
2: Because I was saying <laughs> Joy <laughs> Meacham.
0: Said. Yeah, uh huh. And that's not Rand. Oh, well, that's... it could have been a married maiden something or other. I don't know. He Iron Maiden. Sex. Well,
3: it could have six. been Martha, too. Oh, so
0: no. It's, no that's that's why are you, name? why what did you say twice? that? Why did you say that? All right, one they, more, and they, that's, uh, that's really more than enough. Uh,
2: 2251. Batman and Superman, bonding by coincidence.
0: <laughs> okay, what is the principal superpower of the dire Wraiths? I'm thinking ROM. Okay. Principal superpower of the dire rates. Shapeshifting, telepathy, super strength, or mind control?
1: I think I got this. Shapeshifting. It just, you know, all the way. Sounds
0: like a John Boy confident answer, and uh, Peter shakes his marble head that says, Yes, how and dare you? Letter A, I can hear that. <laughs> and we have a correct answer, so we are two for four. Is Please. that? Two. That's a break even thing. We got a half. Should yeah, we go with.
1: In... That's, that's a good endpoint right
2: there, almost. I mean, we can keep going. Okay. Uh, I, think, I think a half
3: is good, half C. Okay.